So the Parsha of Yisrael begins with Yisrael. He's one of the, the individuals who has the distinction of having a Parsha named after him, uh, the positive distinction, that is. And if you read the opening Pasuk, we'll see there is already <coughs> what to discuss. The Perig Yudches Pasuk Aleph. Vayishma Yisrael, Kohen Midian, Chosei Moshe, so Yisro, the priest of Midian, father of Moshe, hears, Kol Asher Kim Moshe Everything that Hashem did for Moshe, for Yisrael, his people, Ki Hotzi Hashem Es Yisrael Mi Mitzrayim. That Hashem took B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. And I think we already have room for a couple of questions. Firstly, Yisro appears here with full titles, with full resume. He's Kohen Midian, he's Chosen Moshe. Apparently, it's been a while since we've heard from him, and therefore we need to be reminded, so to speak, of uh, all of his, his titles. But do we not know these things? Especially interesting is the fact that he's called Kohen Midian because without putting too fine a point on it, he wasn't Kohen Midian anymore. Rashi tells us <coughs> that he was the, the priest of Midian until he packed it in, which made him the most unpopular person in Midian. That is the reason why the shepherds gave his daughters trouble. Vayavo haroim vayigarshum. They came and, uh, the, and they harassed his daughters when they were at the well. And as the Ksava Kabbalah points out, we see from here an example of what's called milam or kevet, a composite word, a blended word, because the Pasuk says, vayavo haroim, the shepherds came when Yisro's daughters uh, went to draw water, vayigarshum, ending with a mem. But Yisro's daughters should have taken the feminine form. It should have been vayigarshun, but we see sometimes the Torah, it puts together different elements within one word in order to express a, a, a complex situation. And so too here. The daughters were being harassed, but it wasn't about them. It was because of Yisro. And therefore there was a masculine element within the situation, because <coughs> Yisro is really the one behind it. And that's why the word vayigarshum ends with a mem and not with a nun. Either way, <coughs> Yisro, I think is more correct to say, is Kohen Midian Emeritus. And it's interesting, therefore, that the Pasuk still refers to him as Kohen Midian. What's also interesting is that in the opening Pasuk, if we try and pay as close attention to detail as we can, <coughs> Yisro is given two titles. Kohen, uh, Kohen Midian and Chosin Moshe. Okay, and having established who he is, it would seem we can now proceed just to call him Yisro. I think we're on first name terms by this stage. And yet, it's not the case, because in the ensuing Psukim, Pasuk Beis, for example, the very next Pasuk says, Vayikach Yisro Chosin Moshe. We're yet reminded of the fact that he's Moshe's father in law, even though we were told that in Pasuk. Aleph, <coughs> and it keeps going. Pasuk, hey, 
says, Vayavo Yisro Chosein Moshe. And here, we're neither here nor there, because we've dropped one of the titles, but we're keeping on the other. And what is, what is behind that? And this proceeds until finally we get to Pasuk Tes. And Pasuk Tes says, Vayichad Yisro. Yisro was joyous. And so are we. Because it's the first time that we actually just have him referred to by his name Yisro. So what is the, the background to two titles, one title, no title? What does it mean? The Chassam Sofer, when he discusses the opening Pasuk, <coughs> so he points to what seems to be actually uh, a contradiction, perhaps, between the first part of the Pasuk and the second part. The first Pasuk says Yisro heard everything. Everything sounds like everything, with all, with all, all that that entails. And yet, <coughs> at the end of the Pasuk, it says, Ki Hashem es Yisrael mitzrayim. That Hashem took Bnei Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. So the Pasuk is almost like a funnel. It begins with everything, but then seems to end up with one thing. It's a big thing, but it's part of everything. What is the progression of the Pasuk? And it's also interesting to note, and this is our final setup question, so to speak, is that our Pasuk concludes by saying that Yisro heard Ki Hashem. Hashem took Bnei Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. In Pasuk Tes, Yisro will say, if we take a look there, Pasuk Tes, <coughs> pardon me, Pasuk Yud, Vayomer Yisro Baruch Hashem Asher Hitzileschem who saved you. Now, we use the terms more or less interchangeably. Yitzias Mitzrayim and Hatzala, Vahotzeisi Vihitzalti. But we see that they've shifted between these two psukim. The opening Pasuk says that he heard Ki Hashem, Hashem took us out. And then when Yisra finally speaks, it says Baruch Hashem, Asher Hitzileschem. So all of this is crying out for our um, further analysis to understand what is happening in these, <coughs> in these opening psukim. And the Chassam Sofer says, uh, quite a chiddush. But as soon as he said it, it's very easy to understand it. And that is, the first pasuk begins by telling us what Yisra heard. And what did he hear? Everything. He heard amazing stories. He heard incredible reports all these things that he'd heard about uh, <coughs> what had happened when Bnei Yisrael uh, came out of Mitzrayim. However, Yisro has in any case heard everything. In the sense that if there's anyone who's heard all the amazing things that you could say about any deity or about any force, it's Yisro. He literally tried all of them. So he's no stranger to hearing incredible reports. However, uh, Yisra has already instructed us as to how to, re- to relate to much of the news, and that is to read every line and don't believe a word. That means <coughs> that he hears these great stories, and what does he make of all of this? He's not inclined to believe any of it, because he's heard, he's heard many such uh, similar tales. He does believe that something must have happened, something at least uh, transpired around which all these tales could be uh, based. 
And that's why the Pasuk concludes by saying, that Hashem somehow allowed the Jewish people to leave Mitzrayim. Uh, that much must be so. In other words, people have seen the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. So that's, a, that's the only fact that Yisro is prepared to accept as a fact. Everything else, he doesn't know. And for this reason, so you have an amazing almost contrast the, the opening part of Pasuk Aleph is what he heard. And what did he hear? Everything. The end of Pasuk Aleph is what he actually believed, which was what? Almost nothing. Except for, they're out, so he'll go and see and check for himself. Of course, when he does, <coughs> he sees for himself the Jewish people, the state that they're in. They have not gone back to Mitzrayim, and no one's pursuing them, and they're surrounded by miracles. That's a point where Yisra realizes that for the first time in his career, in his religious career, all of the reports that he heard were actually true. And that's why he's delighted to, to, to see all of this. And in Pasuk Yud, he says, Baruch Hashem Asher Hitzileschem. Baruch Hashem for saving you. In other words, until that point, he wasn't even convinced that Hashem had saved them. Maybe he'd, he'd somehow secured uh, a temporary reprieve for them to leave, some type of uh, um, short-term break. And that's called a Hotzi in Pasuk Aleph. But then he realized Hashem hadn't just allowed for them to be taken out. He'd actually saved them fully. <coughs> These are the comments of the Chassam Sofer. And again, I think it's very... Uh, very, very interesting the way he approaches the Psukim, and I wonder if there's room to add the following. <coughs> we say that Yisro, uh, he's not inclined really to believe wondrous stories, not anymore, because he's, he's seen it all, he's heard it all, he tried all the Avodazaras, and in fact, what's very interesting, just as a parenthetical uh, comment, is that even when he had thrown in the Avodah of Midian and he's no longer interested, that doesn't immediately translate in him to becoming a following of Moshe. We'd find no indication that he wants to join the Jewish people until the beginning of Parshas Yisro, which is amazing because Moshe lived with him for a number of years and one would have thought that's all it took and he would become an ardent uh, supporter and follower of Moshe as he ultimately did. But it didn't happen at the time. <clears throat> so it wasn't an overnight transition from Avodazara to become a follower of Torah. On the contrary, there, is, there are grounds to, to consider the possibility that even when he dismissed the Avodazara of Midian, he just went on to another Avodazara. It, just, he just, it wasn't their local Avodazara, so it, it didn't help him there. People were still upset with him. But he's still in the process of trying everything out until he, until he finally arrives at Torah. But <clears throat> what makes him so skeptical is his experiences as the Kohen of Midian. On the other hand... It's clear to him that if there's ever anyone about whom these, these stories might be true, it's going to be Moshe. What I mean to say is, <coughs> Yisro's, um, I wouldn't say personality, but his consciousness, it really has two conflicting elements to it. One of them is called Kohen Midian, and one of them is called Chosen Moshe. In other words, the Kohen Midian within him is inclined to dismiss everything. 
the Chosein Moshe within him is inclined to give Moshe the benefit of the doubt, or at least that it's worth pursuing. And, th- and this, I think, is the deeper understanding of why the Parsha begins by presenting him with these two titles, because they're two aspects, and they relate to two different ways that Yisra is inclined to, to respond to the news. Either as Kohen Midyam, to dismiss it all, or Chosen Moshe, to pursue the matter. It's what you could call clash of the titles. And so, in Pasuk Aleph, <coughs> you have these, this conflict, but that is exactly why from Pasuk Bezen onwards he's only called Chosein Moshe because if he was Kohen Midian he never would have taken the trip to, 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 to pursue matters further. In the end, Chosein Moshe won out, so to speak. As a father-in-law of Moshe, he says, I'm your father-in-law, I'm, I, want, I want to investigate this further, I know who you are, I know that it could be true, it's, I'm not saying it is, but if it's going to be true of anyone, it's going to be true of you. And therefore, as long as he's in the process of verifying and authenticating the reports that he's heard, he's called Chosein Moshe, Chosein Moshe, which represents him giving Moshe the benefit of the doubt until we finally reach a stage where he's called Yisra. In other words, he reaches a stage where he doesn't have to give Moshe the benefit of the doubt anymore. He's seen enough, he's heard enough for himself to, to realize that what happened is really authentic. And at that point, all titles are dropped. And finally, we meet Yisra himself. So I think this is a very interesting way of relating to the, the opening sukkim of Parshas Yisra. And from, from the opening pasuk, shall we say, or if we move towards the end of Risho, we'll see that it's specifically a pasuk that we might have just made, not have paid due attention to, but when we do, we'll see something very interesting. <coughs> and that is pasuk Yudbeis. Perik Yudches, pasuk Yudbeis. So Yisro, he's been, he's been convinced, he's a believer, he's one of us, and persecutes it based by Yikach Yisro Chosen Moshe. So Yisro <coughs> back again here now Chosen Moshe. Ola uzvachim lelokim. So he brings korbanos. Okay, very nice. Vayavo Aharon v'chol zikne Yisrael. Aaron and all of the elders of Yisrael come lechol lechem to eat bread. Im Chosen Moshe with the father-in-law of Moshe lifnei halokim before God. So, and this is the, I think it's fair to say that after all the excitement of Yisro's discovery, etc., so if he brings Korbanos, okay, so he brings Korbanos, and we, we, we glide more or less towards the end of Rishon and wait for something else to happen. <coughs> but the truth is <coughs> that there's something very noteworthy about Pasuk Yudbeis. Actually, there are two noteworthy things about Pasuk Yudbeis. Something that has disappeared and something that has appeared. What has disappeared is is Moshe, right? Moshe, who's been so instrumental in receiving Yisro and in uh, telling him the whole story, uh, and everyone's in in its final pasuk except for Moshe. That's something that's disappeared. But what has appeared? The pasuk begins by saying that Yisro brought Ola Uzvachim, which are korbanos, and then it says that everyone came to eat bread, lechol lechem, 
with, uh, with Yisro, Lifnei HaAlokim. Where did the bread come from? And more to the point, what is the meaning of eating bread before Hashem? So these are the questions that <coughs> we need to address with regards to this Pasuk. And the truth is that in terms of the first question, where did Moshe go? Rashi deals with this question. It's based in the Mechilta. And he, he even voices the question before he gives his explanation. Vayavo Aharon, says Rashi, Umoshe heichan halach. Where did Moshe go? He's the one that led the whole delegation out to meet uh, Yisro. He led the whole reception. He's the one that gave him all this honor. And all of a sudden comes the dinner and he's missing. Ella says Rashi, citing the Mechilton, Shahaya Omed Umeshamish Lifnehem. You know where Moshe was? He wasn't one of the guests because he was actually serving everyone. So he's not missing, but he's not there because he's not one of those who are <coughs> coming to dine. He's taking care of everyone. Very interesting. So if you want to know where Moshe is, he's there, but not as a named guest because he's Mishamish Lifnehem. Very nice. However, there is someone who does not think this is very nice. Not yet, anyway. One of the Mephorshim actually thinks this is very problematic, what the Mechilta just said. And that is none other than the Meshachachma. And the reason why is based on a concept that uh, we hear from a number of different places. It's in the Gemara, it's in the Medrash, and that is that Moshe actually had the halachic status of a king. Moshe is a melech. The Medrash uh, learns this, darshans this from the Pasuk at the end of Azor Sabracha, actually, Vayihi Bishurun Melech. According to the Medrash, most rabbah is a reference to Moshe Rabbeinu. And we should know that this is not, quote unquote, a mere uh, title, it's a halachic designation. The Gemara, in, the, in the, a few places, derives the requirement of the presence of a king for certain things, and the source for that is the presence of Moshe in those, uh, in those very same things, adding onto the Beis Amikdash or expanding this and that, whatever it may be. So it's Melech in the full sense of the word. He's not from Yehuda, etc. and so forth, but he himself, for, and, his, and it did not go on to his children. But for him, it's Melech fully. Now, why is this so significant? <clears throat> because the Gemara in a couple of places, Ksubastaf Yudzayin and Kedushin Daf Lamed, <coughs> it discusses certain individuals that one is obligated to honor whether they can waive their honor, whether they can forego their honor. You have to stand up for them. Can they tell you that you don't need to? And so on and so forth. Can they do things for you? Can they serve you? And in many instances, they can. Parents can waive their honor, which in many cases is just as well. Tabide Chachamim are also allowed uh, to be mochal on their covet. But Melech Shemochal al Kavodo, Ein Kvodo Mochal, the king is not allowed to be mochal on his covet. The Ksav Sofer explains his covet is the covet of the Jewish people. He represents the Jewish people. He doesn't have the right to, to, to forego their honor. And if that's true, how do you put these two ideas together? Namely, Moshe, we know, has the full status of Melech, and yet the Mechilta is comfortable saying that, uh, where's Moshe? He's the waiter. 
He's Omidu Meshamesh. He's serving everyone. He's not allowed to do that. And they're not allowed to let him do that. And that's why the Meshachachma is very intensely bothered by what would otherwise seem to be a lovely comment of Rashi. However, says Meshachachma, <coughs> there's a little bit more to it than that. This Pasuk, uh, which the Medrash cites as the source for the idea that Moshe is Melech, namely, as we know, <coughs> it continues, right, proceeds to say, right, when the heads of the Am, when they gather together. When is the event, which is the original gathering of the Jewish people? It says, Meshachachma, it's the giving of the Torah. It's Matan Torah. The Pasuk itself, <coughs> in the end of Parshas, Vaishanan will refer to the day of Matan Torah as Yom HaKahal, the day of the gathering. It's the, pardon me, the day of the assembly. That is to say, this is when the Jewish people came together in the full sense of the word. So, says Meshachachma, <coughs> so if Moshe is a king of, as per Vahibishur and Melech, but that's from Bis Asif Am. That means that Moshe, the well-known idea that Moshe had the designation of king is only from the time of Matan Torah. Okay. Are we out of the woods yet? Possibly. Because there is a major discussion in the Gemara, in Masechus of Odazara, Daf Kafei, and also in, pardon me, Kaftalet, and also in Ezvachim, Kuftasvav, as to the event, the Yisro's arrival to the Jewish people, when did it happen? Did it happen before the giving of the Torah or afterwards? It's a machlokas tanoim. But if we say that Moshe, that Yisro arrived before Matan Torah we can, and, and ascribe this position to the Mechilta, we can understand how we can then say that Moshe was omed umeshamish alehem because at the time when this happened, uh, Moshe was not yet Melech and he was able to, to serve them. However, Every machlokas has two sides, right? It takes two sides to have a machlokas. <clears throat> Although some people are actually prepared to, to conduct one single-handedly. But there are two opinions in this matter. And for those who say that Yisro came after Matan Torah, it is no longer possible to explain the absence or the non-mention of Moshe by virtue of him serving them. He would not be able to serve them. How then can we account for Moshe not being mentioned? Says Meshachachma, fear not and read on. Because the end of the Pasuk, which says <coughs> that they came to eat bread, that is to say, to have a festive meal before Hashem, Rashi comments, Mikan, from here we see, if you benefit <coughs> from a meal or a feast where Tamede Chachamim are there, it's like one who has, been, has derived pleasure from the divine presence. From, and, and what does this tell us? <coughs> Rashi's bothered. What does it mean that they ate bread before Hashem? What, what does that mean? And, and the explanation that Rashi gives is that because there's Tamidi Chachamim there, this is the lesson. If there's Tamidi Chachamim there, it's like benefiting from the divine, the radiance of the divine presence. Well, says Meshachachma, Tamidi Chachamim don't come bigger than Moshe Rabbeinu. 
if the point of the pasuk is that to eat when it, when the tamil chacham is there, it's like eating, it's like benefiting from the shechina. So, so by removing Moshe and putting the neha elokim, that's how that message comes out. That by, by, that it's considered to be lifneha elokim because Moshe's there. And that would be the other way to account for the non-mention of Moshe's name. So we see that Meshachachma, what seems to be very straightforward, uh, even familiar, I would say, and friendly sounding comments of the, of the Medrash, need to be uh, thought through and assessed and processed in terms of, uh, of other things that we know about the situation to make Seder in, the, in these interpretations. What's fascinating is that after having done all of this, the Meshachachma isn't finished, as he very often isn't, when we think that things are over, because he actually has his own understanding or his own suggested interpretation of what is the bread that they ate, Lifnei Ha'elokim. That's really how the whole thing began. Uh, they started by bringing a korban. To eat a korban before Hashem, that makes sense, but to eat bread before Hashem, that's harder to understand. Where did the bread come from, and why is it called being eaten before Hashem? Says the Meshachachma, we need to take another look at these korbanos that Yisro brought. Why is he bringing korbanos? I mean, it's, it's not, there's nothing wrong with it, but is, are we, is it possible to intuit or, or infer any specific uh, type of korban or reason he would bring the korbanos? Well, the Pasuk says he brought an ola and zavachim. Ola is a burnt offering, and that's that. But zvachim are, are, offer, are offerings that are eaten. Can we know what type of, of offering it was? Says Meshachachma, I think one can hazard a guess. Because here is Yisro, and he's celebrating everything that has happened to the Jewish people. There is a certain type of korban that one brings on celebrating good experiences, good tidings, etc. And that is a korban toda. Meshachachma suggests that the Zavachim that Yisra brought were Korban Toda. How does that help us? Well, firstly, it gives us some type of designation or, or, or to categorize these, these Korbanos. But there is something else. Every Korban, so to speak, is just the Korban. But a Korban Toda, as we know, is accompanied by 40 loaves of bread. And this, Meshachachma suggests, <coughs> is the lechem that everyone came to eat with Yisra. And as we've mentioned numerous times in the past, the reason why the Torah piles up so many uh, loaves of bread is in order to ensure that a person will, will eat together with others. You're not allowed to leave korban food uh, over the allotted time. And therefore, by increasing the amount of food, it's either do it all yourself, which is practically impossible. In fact, if you succeed, it may warrant bringing another Korban Toda. Or do what the Torah tells you to do, is, is, is encouraging you to do. Invite others and tell them. Tell them about the Lecha Ezbach Zevach Toda, Uva Shem Hashem Ekra. Ezbach Zevach Toda is the bringing of the Korban. Uva Shem Hashem Ekra is to tell others all the things that Hashem did. And Yisra had plenty to tell and plenty to, to celebrate. And this, therefore, is the Lechem that was eaten Lifnei Ha'elokim as part of the Korban Toda. And if that's true, says Meshachachma, it will explain to us one final nuance within the Pasuk. 
And that is that the Pasuk says that Yisra brought <coughs> these korbanos, and who came to, to celebrate with him? Vayavo Aharon, the Cholzikne Yisrael. Aaron came, and all the elders of Yisrael came. Aaron received special mention, and he's mentioned first. Why? Because of the, of the breads that are brought together with the Korban Todo, the first one to take from them is the Kohen. He takes Truma, one from ten, of each type of bread, and therefore it's absolutely the Seder of Korban Todo. First comes Aaron to take the, <coughs> the Truma from Lachmi Todo, and then uh, everyone else to partake of the uh, remaining Lachmi Todo. So what's really, uh, I think, so special about this comment of, of the Meshachachman is you see that he has given 100% to Chazal and then 100% to his own parish. That, that is to say, um, he's, he's explained and analyzed as far as possible the, the, the way that the, the Medrash talks about it, the way the Mechilta and Rashi quoting the, the Medrashim, etc., given that full, full due attention, and at the same time, or, or, or parallel to that, he has his own way of understanding Aldera uh, Chapchat, or the way that he feels uh, will resolve certain other issues. Right? He does not refrain from both of them, rather uh, invest fully in both of them. So, <coughs> let's uh, move on from here. Still... Uh, in the beginning of the of the part of the opening section, we get to the point where <coughs> uh, Yisro sees that Moshe is. It's just Moshe. Everyone is uh, standing in line, waiting all day, and and Yisro asks, "What is happening here?" So Moshe gives. Actually, we know that Yisro will then, in time, suggest a whole system: Sari Alafim, Sari Meos, etc. But before then, Moshe has his own. Uh, brief description of what it is that he's doing. And let's have a look in Pasuk, Perig Yudches, Pasuk Tesvav. Perig Yudches, Pasuk Tesvav. Ayyoma Moshe Lechosno, Ki Yovo Eilai Ha'am Nedrosh Elokim. When the people come to me, they come, they come to, to inquire of Hashem's uh, word, of his law. If they have any issue, they come to me. And I adjudicate the case. That's basically uh, Moshe's description of what he does. There's much to discuss within the, the various different uh, elements. Either way, Yisro doesn't feel that it's right. It's too much. Not good for you, not good for them. You and them. So you need to have the system, which Yisro is quite... Uh, feels uh, should be done either way Rashi has an interesting comment on uh, Pasuk Tesvav so again if they, Moshe says if they have an issue right? so <coughs> they come uh, before me says Rashi ki yelahem davar ba'elai misha hayalo hadavar the one with the problem. Ba'elai. He comes to me. What does Rashi mean by this? What is Rashi looking to explain or highlight or, or answer? Well, <coughs> the truth is, if you go back at the Pasuk, it's really quite simple. There's a problem. 
because the Pasuk says, Ki davar to them, and of course, once again, it takes two to have a problem. So they have a problem. So why then does it say, Ba'elai, he comes to me. If they have a problem, they should come to me. So it should have said, Ki lahem davar ba'elai. When they have a problem, they come to me. But it says, when they have a problem, he comes to me. How do you understand how two people have a problem, <coughs> but only one of them comes to me? Says Rashi, the answer is, because generally speaking, one of them will be more uh, inclined to come to Bezdin than the other. <laughs> the one who's claiming from the other. So, so, so the defendant, he's fine to stay at home. So who's going to initiate the Din Torah? It's going to be one, one of the two parties. And that's what's reflected in the shift from the plural to the singular. They both have an issue. One of them is more likely to come and raise the issue with me. The other's happy to stay at home or, or do whatever. <coughs> so this is Rashi's explanation. Once again, we, before we move over to move on to something uh, most interesting, the Meshachachma ha- has his own way of understanding the shift from, from the plural to the singular. And that is that actually there are two entities or there are two, uh, there's a subject and an object here mentioned, by which I mean to say, ki lahem, lahem is in the plural, but what do they have? Davar, a problem, a matter, an issue. Says Meshachachma, the Pasuk says Ba'elai in the singular because it's not talking about both of the parties or even one of the parties. It's talking about the matter. And what does this mean? <coughs> this is Moshe's way of saying, and of course these will later become formulated in mitzvahs, that justice is blind, meaning right? You're not You're not allowed to give uh, attention to the people who are bringing the case to the extent that oh, it's him, and therefore I will need to decide accordingly. The way the dayan ein la dayan and la ein of roos means the dayan can only deal with the case as the case, regardless of who the two sides are. And how does Moshe express this by saying they may have an issue? But the matter comes before me. My focus is on the davar, not on the lahem. And davar is a singular. And that's the way it should be done. So that's Meshachachma's explanation. But there is a third explanation. And I heard this from my father, Zatzal, many years ago. And it came out through a story that related to the Nodebi Yehuda. Now the Nodebi Yehuda, the great Rabbi Cheska of Prague, so his, his final shteller was in Prague. I think this was one, one of his earlier shtellers when he was uh, maybe not as well known. And he came to, um, to, to this town to become their rav. And uh, not the first time, I think, and also not the last time in uh, Jewish history, not everyone in the community was happy with the appointment of the rabbi. And there were a couple of uh, people who decided they were going to make trouble. Perhaps they had their own candidate who they thought would be more uh, qualified. Either way, they decided to make trouble for the new rabbi, the young Rabbi Cheskel Landau. Um, 
what, well, what could they do? They were lambdon in themselves a little bit, who were capable of causing trouble, and they concocted a story. A Shiloh that was so complicated, it was, you need to be half a gone just to, just to hear the question through. And then to decide the matter, they were pretty confident that no one will be able to unravel this question. It just had all the elements you could only possibly imagine. And with that, they feel that would be the end of the rabbi. They'd show he doesn't know how to pass Shilas. And, and so they, they presented the question to him. They went, they went into him and says, uh, we have this question, it's come up. And they start to present this whole thing. And it really, really is incredibly complicated. And they finish asking the question, and the Nodebi Huda starts to think, and the silence, and they're looking at each other as if to say, this is it. And after a few moments where no one is saying anything, <coughs> the Nodebi Huda lifts his head up from when he was deep in thought, and he says to them, can I ask you a question, please? And they said, yeah. He said, is this an actual question? Is this a real question? So they're not sure how to react. Of course it wasn't, but, but why, why, would, why would they say that? And what, what gave them away? So Rechezka Lander says, I need to explain something to you. I'm a POSIC. <coughs> many, many people write their questions to me from near and far. And it, that's the needs of the Jewish people. And I'll tell you something. I don't always have the natural wherewithal to answer those questions. But because it's the needs of the Jewish people, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has never let me down. He always has given me some type of inspiration to look somewhere or to, to, to find some way of answering the question. Because it's not just about my knowledge, it's about the, the needs of Tzorchit Sibur. And something happened to me for the first time. You asked a question. I've had difficult questions before. You asked a question. Nothing happened. I can only assume, or at least question, <laughs> as to whether this is actually a real situation. And maybe it isn't. And maybe that's why Hashem hasn't come to help me, because no one really needs help. So they were quite taken aback by this. And, and uh, Rechezka Landau acquired for himself two, two new uh, supporters uh, on that occasion. But he says, this is the meaning of the Pasuk. <coughs> you see, and he quotes our Pasuk, Shmos Perik Yudches, Pasuk Tet, Zayin Ki Yelem Davar, Ba'elai. When they have a matter, so Ba'elai, once again, it's the issue. It started in the plural, Lahem Davar, and then Ba'elai is only the singular. And Rashi says what he says, and other people say what they say. But the truth is, there is a singular here. Where? Because look at the Pasuk before. Pasuk Tesvav, Vayoma Moshe Lechosna, Moshe says, People come to me to inquire of God. That is a singular proper noun. When, in, when the next Pasuk says, When they have an issue, he comes to me. Who's he? It's Elohim mentioned in the previous Pasuk. Because Elohim needs Hashem is there to, uh, to preside over things and to help the day on him out. <coughs> says the note of Yehuda, that has been my experience, but I didn't experience it here. And hence, I, I, I was forced to, to, to wonder whether this was actually a real situation. So we have 
uh, very interesting through these psukim. And again, it's the it's the nuances, the shift from plural to singular. All these concepts comes out. The way a dying is meant to look at the case, the 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 uh, that he gets within the case, <coughs> the reality of who would bring the case to him. All of these things within a shift from from lahem to ba, the whole thing the whole thing opens up. <coughs> at the center, one could say. Uh, as much as we've given the lion's share of, of attention this evening to the beginning of the Parsha, but of course you have, it is Matan Torah, and you have um, the Aser Sadibros, and there are days of preparation. And if we have a look at the Psukim here, Perik Yudtes. Perik Yudtes is the chapter of preparation. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says for Moshe to give, uh, to give them two days to prepare. In Perik Yudtes, Pasuk Yud. If we take a look there, so Hashem says to Moshe, Go to the people, Get them ready, today and tomorrow. They should clean their clothes. They should be ready for the third day. Now in the event, as Moshe relays this information in Pasuk Tesvav, of Perikutes, it says, Ready yourselves for three days. Now Hashem told Moshe that they should ready themselves today and tomorrow to be prepared for the third day. Moshe tells them to ready themselves for three days. So what is the background to this? So there is a tradition, it's mentioned in the Gemara, and Rashi cites it here. It's not the only approach that Rashi cites, but it's the one he cites first. It's the most straightforward resolution of, of what's happening here. And that is that Moshe added a day of preparation. It's based on a drasha. We're not going to go into the details. Hayom is like machar, two complete days to add on uh, the, what's re- the remainder of the, of the opening day. What that means is that when Hashem spoke to, to Moshe on the 4th of Sivan, on the 4th of Sivan, to say prepare for today and tomorrow, because the third day would be the 6th of Sivan, but through Moshe's drash, Moshe is one of the first to darshan in this way. So the days of preparation went from 2 to 3, and indeed the Torah was given on the 7th of Sivan. This leads to a very famous question of the Mogan Avram. The Torah, when it prescribes the Chag of Shavuos, <coughs> it doesn't state that it has any connection to Matan Torah, to the giving of the Torah, but we know from Chazal that it does. And we refer to it in the Siddur as Man Matan Torah Seinu. The problem is, Shavuos is on the 6th of Sivan. In Eretz Yisrael, as per the Torah, it is only the 6th of Sivan. So, so it's a bit of an awkward situation. Because if you've learnt your Rashi, you'll know that whereas today was possibly going to be the day of the giving of the Torah, but in the event, it wasn't given until the 7th of Sivan. Now in Chutz Laris, the 7th of Sivan is, is yet Yom Tov Sheni. But as per the Torah itself, in Eretz Yisrael, the seventh of seven months, not Shavuos at all. It's an amazing situation. Which means on the, on the sixth of Sivan, the day before the Torah was given, the so Jews say to each other, Chag Sameach, 
And on the seventh of Sivan, when the Torah was actually given, Jews say to each other, good morning, because it's not Yom Tov anymore. How can we say Zman Matan Teraseinu on the day before the Torah was given? This is the classic question of <coughs> the Magan Avram. And again, it's one approach <coughs> that the Torah is on the seventh, but it is the one that Rashi considers to be primary. And there is a stunning answer to this question, which is found in the Beis HaLevi. And he directs our attention to a well-known episode. It's cited in, in Maseches Bob Metziah, and Daphnun Tess, the famous Tanura Shel Achnai, that oven where there was a massive debate between Rabbi Eliezer and the other sages as to whether it's susceptible to receiving tumor, not susceptible to receiving tumor. Rabbi Eliezer says no, the Chachamim say yes. <coughs> and Rabbi Eliezer starts to call on all sorts of miraculous occurrences in order to authenticate his position, in order to corroborate his position. And the Chachamim keep on ignoring them, and the stream flows backwards, and they ignore it, and the tree is uprooted, and they ignore it, and the, the walls cave in, and they ignore all of that. And, and finally... Again, it's a well-known episode. Rabbi Lezer calls for a baskol. He calls for a heavenly voice to proclaim that the halacha is like him. And a voice comes out like that. And Rabbi Yeshua stands up and says, Lo he. The Torah is not in heaven, which means the Torah has been given to the Jewish people, to the Sanhedrin, representing the Jewish people, <coughs> to decide the halacha based on the majority. We are the majority. We say that the halacha is as following. And, and uh, they did not except not Rabbi Lezer and not his Baskal. This is the concept of Matan Torah. As if to say, the full meaning of the term, the giving of the Torah, it's not just, quote-unquote, the transmission of the laws of the Torah. It's the transferal of the authority to decide halacha from the heavenly realm, to Bezdin Shalmata. That is Matan Torah, capital M, capital T. It's the giving of the Torah in the full sense of the word. What has been given, not just the mitzvahs, but the authority to Paskin. That's Matan Torah. So, says the Beis Halevi, when is the first time that we see this concept in play? That the transferal, the, the, the base of authority has been transferred from on high to the earthly court, to the extent that Hashem will follow the psak of the earthly court. You know when it was? <coughs> it was when it came to decide which day the Torah will be given. Because Hashem's words, untreated, so to speak, would have the Torah given on the 6th of Sivan. But then came Moshe, and Moshe made a drasha. And as a result of his drasha, he said, that means we need another day. So obviously he's darshaning the pasuk. But without his drasha, the extra day wouldn't have been given. And what does Hashem do? He gives the Torah on the 7th of Sivan. Following Moshe's psak, says the Beis Halevi, so let's go back to the Mokhan Avram's question. The Mokhan Avram asks, how can we say on the 6th of Sivan, Zman Matan Torosenu, it's the time of the giving of the Torah, nothing happened on the 6th of Sivan, nothing happened till the 7th. Says the Beis Halevi, there is your answer. Nothing happened on the 6th of Sivan because of Matan Torah. 
That is the giving of the Torah, that Moshe was able to decide that the Torah won't be given until tomorrow. And therefore, if ever there was just cause to make a Yom Tov out of nothing, it's Shavuos. Because the fact we, we get together and we celebrate the non-giving of the Torah until tomorrow, because the Torah has been given. And Moshe is able to decide that it should be given on the seventh, that the, the, the mitzvahs, the revelation should happen on the seventh of Sivan. Classic <coughs> explanation of Beis Halevi, and of course such an important uh, bedrock concept in halacha, the idea of lo bashamayimhi. Well, having spent uh, most of this evening looking at the Parsha itself, I want to take a look at the Haftorah, uh, which we don't often do, but the Haftorah is from Yeshaya, Perig Vav. And as we'll see, the, although it's chapter 6 of Yeshaya, it actually uh, describes his very first prophetic experience. I'm not sure why that isn't in uh, Perig Aleph. Perig Aleph is Chazon Yeshayahu, which is much later. I don't know exactly how Ein Muktam Torah works when it comes to arranging the, uh, the prophecies of the, of the Nevi'im, but either way. So this is when it all begins. This is Kaddosh, 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 his first prophetic experience. And if we have a look at Pasuk Ches, so he says, Va'eshma Es kol Hashem Omer. I heard uh, Hashem's voice saying, Es mi eshlach, lanu. <coughs> Who shall I send? As if to say, he overhears, so to speak. Hashem is looking for a Novi, so that, you, so that Yeshaya will volunteer. Va'omar, and I said, Hineni, I'm here. Shalcheni, send me. And, that, and there begins his very first uh, mission as a prophet. Say the following... Shemu Shemov, Al Tavino, etc., as the ensuing Sukim describe. One of the great Darshanim of the 1500s, Rabbi Azariah Figo, he was a Rav in Venice, <coughs> in his Drosh's Binali Itim, he says, Look again at Pasuk Ches, you'll see something very interesting. In fact, we'll see three very interesting things. Firstly, <coughs> He hears Hashem saying, Es mi eshlach lechlanu. Who should I send? Who will go for us? What is the meaning of those two expressions? As if to say, whoever you send will go for you. Es mi eshlach, who will I send? lechlanu. who will go? Who goes is the shaliach. So it seems to be just a double expression, effectively describing the same thing. However, when we look again at these two <coughs> expressions, we'll see, very apropos, there's been a shift from Lashen Yachid to Lashen Rabbim. Hashem says, Es mi eshlach, who shall I send? Umi lanu, and who will go for us? What is behind the shift of I to us, eshlach to lanu? Apparently, these are two different things. But if they are two different things, so what does what does Yeshaya say? Omar, I said, Hineni, I'm ready. Shalcheni, send me. But if Hashem has been asking about two things, who shall I send? 
and who will go for us if they're really two different things, then when Yeshaya accepts, he should have said, I'm, here I am, send me, I will go for you. He, apparently, he says, I'm ready, but he has only accepted half of what's being offered. The Kolze Omer Darsheni. What is, what is happening here in this Pasuk? Says the Bina Le'itim. We know that there's two types of prophecies. There's positive and there's negative. <coughs> there's prophecies of good things that await the Jewish people, consolation and comfort and good tidings. But there's also prophecies where they need to be uh, set in line and possibly even prophesying dire things, pointing out problems with the Jewish people. Not so, not so uh, enjoyable. And sometimes... Um, uh, retribution and calamity, as we know. Says These two types of prophecy are contained in the two phrases, "Es mi eshlach, Why? Because <coughs> we know, firstly, that the concept of being a shaliach means an absolute identification between the sender and the emissary. In the words of the Gemara, Shalucha shel Adam kemoso. A person's shliach is like themselves. Which means that when you represent Hashem, so Hashem stands fully behind and is identified and associated fully with what you're saying. But we know, the Medra says, that Hashem does not identify or associate himself fully with bad tidings. Of course, everything emanates from him ultimately, but he's not as closely associated with bad things because they're not really what's, what's meant to happen. And therefore, the first phrase, refers to positive nevuas, because when it comes to positive things, Hashem is absolutely associated with that, and the, and the prophet is his shaliach. But what about negative? What about uh, difficult prophecies, prophecies of calamity, you're still prophesying on Hashem's behalf, but he's not present as much. You're going for him, but you're not his shaliach. That's called yeilech lanu. Shaliach is for positive. Yeilech lanu is for negative. And moreover, says, says the Bina Le'itim, <coughs> that's why yeilech lanu is in the plural. Because we know that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu convenes Din, he convenes his Bezdin. Bezdin Shalmala, what's called. Sometimes when the harsher verdicts comes out, it's what's known as the heavenly tribunal, which there's references to this in the, in the Navi, and certainly in, in the Chazal, Bezdin Shalmala. It's a Bezdin. And a, a, a harsh verdict is often the product of what's called the heavenly tribunal, and that's why it's in the plural. Miyelech Lano. Because if it's the Yelech, which represents harsher prophecies, it's representing the best in Shalmala, who often, they, 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 they pull out the law, the actual law, Shura Sadin. But sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu has Rachmanus. And when he does, he does so acting alone, circumventing best in Shalmala. In those cases, it's in the singular. And that's why he says, es mi eshlach, in the singular, for the positive, regardless of what Bezdin Shamala says, if Hashem so decides. But sometimes it's yeh lanu, 
Hashem goes with the Bez Mishal Ma'ala. You're not a Shaliyah, you're going for him and you're going for them. It's the whole Bezdin. So it's to see how these two terms open up and relate to two different types of Nevuah. And this further explains to us, says, says the Bina Le'itim, why Yeshaya responds and says, Va'omar, Hineni, I'm ready, Shalcheni, send me. But he doesn't say, Shalcheni, Ve'elech Lachem. He does not accept both things that are offered because Yeshaya does not wish to be a prophet for calamity. He only wants to be a prophet for good. And therefore, of the two avenues of prophecy, one's called Shlichus and one's called Yelechlanu, says Yeshaya, the young Yeshaya, initiate. For, for, for Shalcheni, yes. For Yelechlanu, no. However, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, it doesn't always work that way. Because sometimes the Jewish people need to be told. And if they're not told things that are of a harsher nature, it will only make things worse. In the end, it's all heading towards a good outcome, even though, um, in the interim, the way to bring the Jewish people back to themselves sometimes is, it can be a bit of a rude awakening. And that's why, in this instance, Hashem says, harsher things. And yet, so in, in this instance, Hashem says, the shlichus and the zyeh lanu. Yeshaya says, I'm up for shlichus. I'm not up for yeh lanu. And Hashem says, that's too bad, because it's a yeh lanu situation. However, uh, who knows if Yeshaya's desire to be uh, only for shlichus is what vouchsafes him the position of the one to... Be mavase for all of us, all of the shiva denachim, to all of the prophecies of comfort and consolation in the past. That's, that's the only type of thing that he wanted to talk about in the first place. And ultimately, that is what he's known for. And these are nevuas that we look forward to seeing their fulfillment and realization. Bikarov bimheri amin. All the very best. Have a wonderful weekend.